0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I am Jay Bob, one of the podcast producers here at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing at blisterreview.com. Today, we have a different arrangement for the show. You may be wondering where Jonathan is and why I am hosting. Well, that's because our guest today is Jonathan. In this special edition of Amateur Hour, Jonathan will explain why he considers himself a true amateur in the world of horology, the study of time and timekeeping devices. He declined to be called an amateur horologist or a horological enthusiast because unlike previous episodes of Amateur Hour where the guests ended up giving professional-level dissertations on their respective topics, Jonathan really is just into watches. We will explore why and how he became enchanted with the craft and why horology really makes him tick. Jonathan, over the course of many minutes, details some of the watches he owns and makes some interesting analogies comparing watches to outdoor equipment. Not a surprise there. In preparation for this episode, I myself was found spending hours delving into the mechanics and history of watchmaking, which caught me off guard when the topic was first proposed. Jonathan does a wonderful job of detailing why watches are important and shares his acquired knowledge at the amateur level. As always with these episodes, this is essentially an opener to a broader conversation, which will be discussed in deeper time in the future. Sorry Jonathan about the puns, you asked me to host. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is our growing collection of exceptional craft companies. That support the independent work we're doing here at Blister and are outstanding at their respective craft. So we hope you'll check them out and support them too. We'll include a link to our Blister Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. No more time to waste, so here we go. Jonathan, how are you today? And where are you
1: today? Wow. Thank you for asking. Justin Bob, uh, I'm doing pretty well. There's been a lot going on around here recently, it tends to be the case. Apparently, I'm leaving for Austria. We are talking, it is 9.30 p.m. on a Friday. Uh, I'm leaving for Austria on Sunday and trying to reckon with that reality, because uh, that doesn't really seem like I'm prepared for that to happen, but um, but otherwise, I'm here at my house in Mount Crested Butte, talking with my good friend and longtime podcast producer, you. So this is pretty fun because I am the host of this show today, and you are the guest. Yeah.
0: We brought the listeners here for Amateur Hour, yeah. and we're speaking about horology. Ooh. Tell us what horology means. <laughs>
1: um, it's, I guess, we would just say the study of watches or Yeah, I don't think it's like the craft of watchmaking, given that biology, every other ology in the world we say is the study of, or the craft, the craft of watches, the craft of life, biology. There you go. Tying it back to crafted. See what I did there? I see that. That's great. (laughs) All right. So why watches? Yeah. Great question, because I'm pretty surprised myself about this development, because Truly, I wasn't into watches the vast majority of my life. My interest in watches honestly didn't really start until I started thinking about this very crafted podcast and our Blister Craft Collective, where, you know, given for all these years, we've been really diving into the details of the Well, craft of ski boot making and ski manufacturing and all this technical apparel and yada, yada, yada. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of expand into all of these other areas of craft. And honestly, one day I sat down with a piece of paper, I think, and was just like, what even are the other product categories that we would call craft categories? And I think I probably came up with a list of about 30 different things, ranging from beer making, coffee roasting, you know, tea, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe it was the second or third day where it was like, oh, watchmaking. So even watches itself wasn't really at the front of mind when I started thinking about all these other craft categories out there in the world that have nothing to do with, you know, mountain sports. So I would put that probably as uh, being sometime in 2021. And I mean, when I say I didn't know anything about watches, I'm not um, being humble. I I truly didn't. And so I started reading some things and watching some YouTube videos and poking around. And it's funny, J-Bob, because it sounds like you've done a bit of this yourself since we talked about the two of us doing this episode together and you were just saying to me like dude this is a strange world out there correct so yeah as uh, i was
0: tasked with hosting this episode i like any good host would did some research um <laughs> uh, one so i could hold our guest accountable but also <laughs> hopefully enlighten the conversation a little bit but in my 48 hour internet dive into this <laughs> world of watches, I'm pretty floored by this world. And I kinda focused on the mechanical track yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And seems like maybe we're opposing sides there a little bit, which is good because I I don't know much at all about the lifestyle social component of this world. I don't know any of the company names. Everyone could throw out a Rolex. I think what we should do though is uh back up and Make it clear that we're talking about a certain type of watch that's mechanical.
1: Honestly, for me, it's a bit broader. And I, yes, I think most people that really dive down the watch rabbit hole, it pretty quickly moves into the world of quote unquote mechanical watches. And I think there are some good reasons for that, which I would like to talk about, but it's kind of mechanical versus quartz. And, um, and on the court side, I think we can simply say that those are watches that have batteries in them, mechanical or automatic watches, no batteries. And by the way, this would be a good time for me to pause and say, when we started this whole amateur hour thing, I thought we would bring on true amateurs to talk a bit about why in the world a certain category of craft product is fascinating to them and instead some of our amateur hour conversations like matt manzer on scotch paul forward talking about traditional hunting bows even scott andrus on knives those ended up being like quasi master classes and that is not <laughs> my intention today i am not like a secret you know master about all this watch stuff This is still a new world to me, and I think I can talk really well about why this world is interesting, but I'm not here to do the masterclass thing about every last movement in the mechanical watch world and and that kind of thing. So that's a disclaimer, and um, I'd like to think that I'm actually doing Amateur Hour correctly, unlike, you know, Matt Manzer, Scott Andrus, and Paul Forward. So take that. You know it alls. Okay, so... We're not expecting a
0: master class, mm-hmm. but we do need to be clear. Are we calling you an amateur horologist or no, no. a horological enthusiast?
1: <laughs> I, neither. You you like the word horology. And by the way, you're pronouncing the H a lot harder than I would, which, you know, starts to conjure up some other imagery. Um, <laughs> but uh I I, I tend to go soft on that H, just horology, horology. Like, go light on that H, J. Bob. You know, it's a family show. Gotcha. Um, No, I'm definitely not. I'm not a watchmaker. I don't intend to be one. I also don't actually think of myself, um, certainly not yet, and I don't really think ever. There are a lot, a lot of people out there that are real watch collectors. And that actually holds no appeal to me. When I say collector, I mean people that are sitting around scrambling to find some piece that they can either flip and make some money on it or just hide away in a box and never actually use the damn thing or wear it. And and I'm not really interested in that at all. Uh, but there's a lot of those people out there in the like, world of watch lovers. And um I think that's still kind of a foreign concept to me. I understand, I guess, somebody, you know, trying to buy something to flip it and make a buck. That to me doesn't really highlight the craft or all these different things that I think are interesting about these mechanical watches here in our modern era of 2023.
0: Right. So I think you you hit it there where you said modern era because the technology behind these watches is inherently old it's also been kind of outperformed by more modern technologies of doing what the watch is supposed to do in the first place which is keep time so a lot of these mechanical watches have been proven to not keep time like we're talking matter of seconds off a day or whatever you have to wind them who cares it's not about the time it's about the craft of these things many parts in all these watches off a really old mechanical principle, which I think is fascinating. When you look at some of these watches and some have like watch faces that you'd look at and be like, oh, that's any old watch, but somewhere they have like a face where you can see all the gearing inside. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. that's some serious craftsmanship right there.
1: Yeah. And I would actually want to push back a little bit. I mean, you are right. Historically, mechanical watches, these automatic watches, watches that are self-winding, that don't have a battery to power them. Yes, this technology kind of originates in, I believe, like the 15th century, and then mechanical watches that are somewhat slash more or less slash very similar to mechanical watches today. My understanding is those kind of come into form in around the 17th century, so, yes, long-standing technology here, but what I actually think is fascinating, and we spend a lot of time talking about these things, actually, on different blister podcasts and in panel sessions and, you know, at Protect Our Winter conferences and the like, one of the biggest things that we are facing today is an energy crisis and an emissions crisis, right? And what is one of the biggest things we talk about or the downsides as we talk about, like, the electrification of the world that we need to move toward to reduce emissions? What's the big factor or downside? It's literally batteries. And so one of the things that I think is kind of interesting for those of us who hear this all the time what about the batteries and all these EV vehicles and we need to get bigger batteries and increased storage capacity and the rest? Well, you go back to these watches that for hundreds of years have been literally self-powering without any battery. And so there's actually a way in which I see this as a. if, if you told me this was a technology that we were about to stumble upon in the year 2025, there's a part of me that would be pretty prepared to believe you. So, I actually think that it's rather freaking remarkable that for centuries, we have had battery-less, self-powering watches, and watches that have been made in the last 50 to 100 years are actually quite accurate. You know, and there are tests and different certifications for these things today. So when you were saying that, yes, a quartz watch, a much, much less expensive quartz watch that has a battery that will eventually die and you'll have to just throw it away, quartz watches will be more accurate, but a good mechanical watch with a C.O.S.C. certification, that I believe... um, here again, it's amateur hours, so you uh, experts don't don't judge too hard here. But I believe that COSC test is something like uh, a watch will stay within two seconds of accuracy within. I think it's a fifteen day period. So again, what is your priority? Exact accuracy when it comes to timekeeping, or would you call it an advancement in technology if it's like oh we don't actually need batteries or to continue to throw batteries away and i find that rather remarkable and watchmakers have been doing that trick for hundreds of years absolutely well well said i think that was a good rebuttal because
0: we don't really require accurate timekeeping it's kind of integrated into our lives we, we should know what time it is just by being alive so Again, why watches? Mm-hmm. What is it about like the watch world that is so fascinating? Is it the mechanics? Is it the fact that they're kind of holding on to tradition of craft that's been going on for centuries?
1: Well, there's actually a number of other factors on this front. So we're going we're gonna to stay on this for a while because like I said, I'm not the guy to give the master class about watches, but I do hope to inspire some people to have maybe a new or a bit more of an appreciation for the art of watchmaking and just these physical objects that are a good watch. So to that point, one more thing I want to say that I think is relevant context here. We obviously spend all of our time thinking about how to review skis and snowboards, and ski boots, and expensive mountain bikes, and that kind of thing. So it has been fascinating walking into this world of watches and looking at how that world operates versus how we kind of operate in our mountain sports scene and community. And so I think there's a few other things here. First of all, I know that some people, understandably, are like, watches, that's stupid. They are just really expensive. You can buy a $15 watch that tells the time perfectly fine. And so people that are into that or kind of investing in that, they just either have too much money on their hands or they're using it as a status symbol or something like that. Understandable. I I hear those arguments and I, I get them. But I also think it's kind of Interesting that in specifically our mountain sports communities, how many people do we know who own mountain bikes and have them like upgraded their mountain bikes where they probably have $8,000, $9,000, $10,000 into these bikes that in many cases they will be trying to get rid of or they will just have broken in, say, four to five years, right? Or snowmobiles. There's a whole other, like, money pit, right? And we beat the crap out of these things, and they don't last, and we use them, and we have a great time. But I think that's one of the interesting things about watches is that you can purchase one, and if you take even decent care of it, this is an object... That one you can wear most days of your life, and two, that thing will keep working for fifty years, a hundred years, more than a hundred years. And I would say that that actually is kind of the norm. Once you move into not an exorbitant—I mean, these things are all relative, but you can buy a watch for a lot less than a shitty mountain bike that most of us would not be interested in riding. And that watch is probably an object that could last over 100 years. So I find the longevity of these things kind of interesting because we're kind of used to just putting our money into skis and snowboards and mountain bikes and running shoes that we go destroy in a pretty short amount of time. The other thing, in our modern world, we all have smartphones, we all have laptops, and again, for those of us who are kind of living around in the mountain space, we all have trucks or vehicles that our phones are pretty obsolete in two or three years, laptops maybe three to four years, and we kind of kick the crap out of our trucks or vehicles as well I mean, I still have my 2008, but, you know, we don't hold on to these other things in a way that a watch is something that will last far more than the kind of typical objects that we're putting all of our money into. Does that make sense? It does. I feel like I want to explore this
0: concept a little bit more because the mountain bike analogy, like we destroy mountain bikes but we're getting the benefit out of riding the mountain mm-hmm. bike which is what it's designed to do. Yeah. These watches it seems like yes they're designed essentially to keep time, but it goes further than that. Mm-hmm. We people aren't buying them, collecting them, spending lifetimes building these things mm-hmm. for people to have them just to keep time. That's right. What's you know talk more about like the draw of a watch because I, I like the analogy of it lasts for a long time mm-hmm. that definitely checks out but we're people don't seem to be getting them for timekeeping where mountain bike skis they're not lasting because people are getting them to use them
1: yeah we're 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 going in hopefully having a great time on them sometimes completely wrecking ourselves on them but um and, and i wonder if that is it's maybe why for so many years I kind of, um, I don't know, I either thought watches were either just kind of lame or didn't get it at all, uh, or thought it was just a lot cooler to be putting our resources toward trips or, you know, money to go somewhere to go ski or mountain bike or do these things. And I think where I'm at now, and by the way, another related thing I'll say is, another cool thing I really like about watches is some of them are wildly, insanely expensive, but there are probably not too many product categories that have the price range from relatively inexpensive to insanely high-end as watches. I mean, I think you can maybe sort of make an argument for wine but wine, you're—I I mean, you're talking about some of—I would assume—the most exclusive bottles in the world. That I don't know. I don't know what the most expensive bottles in the world cost, but you know, you can certainly find watches that are selling for fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars, and at auction, these things will often go much higher than that. Um, there are certain watchmakers where you'll see them selling for a million to $2 million. But you can also buy, a, first of all, a, a nice-looking quartz watch. Yes, we're going to have a battery back in it, but you can buy a nice quartz watch, like, nice-looking, for $200, no problem, and a functional quartz watch for much less than that. Now, where exactly the price point starts with mechanical watches, the battery self-powered self-winding watches that we're talking about to be honest i don't exactly know what the entry level is for a watch that one might expect be able to expect that it would hold up and continue to function for 10 20 30 years but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say definitely for 800 to a thousand dollars and and probably closer to like the 500 hundred dollar mark
0: yeah That's kind of what I've been seeing as well. And we'll we'll say this now that we're going to have you back on as a guest uh, to talk more about this, because I think we are going to need another episode to discuss uh, more of the intricacies of how these things are made, where they're made, who's making them, why they would end up costing so much. And so we can have that as another episode that I will host as well. Okay. Okay. Any, any other things that you find fascinating, interesting?
1: I mean, yes, but I think one more thing in particular is that the more that I've kind of taken a dive into this world is this idea that watches are often given as a gift or purchased as a kind of marker for an occasion. And I, I quite like that as well. I'm not personally a jewelry guy. I don't I, I suppose other people would use, you know, not just wedding bands, that's the obvious one, or engagements, but I, I don't um have any chains or anything like that that I bought after something cool happened in my life. But I kind of like the idea that watches can also serve in that role. Again, we just talked about kind of their staying power and something that um can be had for a lifetime and more, also can be passed down. And I have such a watch like that that we'll talk about maybe in a bit. But I think that that's something that's pretty cool about the watch world is that um, they do often serve as a marker or can serve um, as a marker uh, to commemorate a special occasion. All right, so
0: I think we covered why you're interested in watches. And like I said earlier, I did a little 48-hour uh, internet dive on this and I'm going to spend a lot more hours of my life <laughs> sorry, also researching this. So, I'm, I must have caught, <laughs> caught this a little bit, this interest because it really is fascinating and I'm pretty fascinated on the mechanical side. Mm-hmm. But we have this world that surrounds watches. Yeah watch collecting, people who buy the watches to wear them as fashion. Yep. We have hip-hop artists that yeah. like to talk about watches. So yeah. There's a lot of mention of you know, high society, expensive items, all this stuff. So let's hear your thoughts on the weird world of watches.
1: Yeah, the wide, weird, and wonderful world of watches. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I think I didn't know this really or didn't think too much about it um because i just wasn't really paying attention to watches as i've kind of told my story getting into it but it's really something else and high end mechanical watches are having a hell of a moment because they have become such a prominent fixture in hip-hop as you just said so when we're talking about brands like Richard Mille, that's where you get into the million to two million dollar watches or Patek Philippe or Rolex or AP. Um, you are going to hear about these old watch companies on kind of top of the chart hip hop, which is kind of <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> I, I love that actually. I'm, I'm here for that. Uh, the whole sort of outside of the hip hop, like the, the fact that Certain brands in particular have become such status symbols. That part I probably struggle with a lot because um, if you're deriving self-worth because of something that you have strapped to your wrist, you your life is probably not going in the most positive direction. Um, <laughs> but I think specifically given all the work we do, you know, trying to sort through different skis and bikes, you know, and and maybe we'll keep it specifically on skis. It was kind of amazing to me as I started diving into this world, how much emphasis is placed on a brand's heritage and specifically just having been around for, let's say, close to 100 years or more. And so, mm-hmm. you know, three of the hottest, most popular, most traded watch companies out there are Rolex, Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet. It's like they're kind of the only three brands out there. Literally, as their resale prices, their prices on the gray market Uh, Well, I should say, currently, I believe it's still the case. I know it's true of Rolex at the moment. I believe it's largely true of Patek Philippe and pretty much true of Audemars Piguet. You literally can't walk into a shop that sells those brands and purchase one. Hmm. And I mean literally. So specifically to Rolex, there are a number of Rolex authorized dealers around the world and if you walk into any of them they will and you say hi I'm here to buy a watch any watch I just want a Rolex my understanding is still to this day there isn't really a store in the world that will be like oh well great how how here's one for you to buy so there's no product (laughs) that strikes me as a weird thing. Uh, we're getting used to our supply shortages and you know there's been a shortages on bikes and skis and that kind of thing, but these things can be found somewhere in the world. N- literally not true of, say, Rolex at an authorized retailer or an authorized de- dealer.
0: And is that because of limited supply and they get bought up so fast and they end up kind of in the private market and end up being traded? Yep. And if you want to go buy one, you, you have to get it at auction or trade it or buy privately or something like that.
1: Yeah. Or like, yeah, you, you've, you've got it exactly right. And I, I, you know, again, as a newbie walking in and seeing this world is like, what is happening here? And why is there such a prominence on just, it's just pretty much there could be maybe a fourth and fifth company out there, but it is pretty much the three companies that I've named So you can go buy plenty of excellent watches, but on these three, you cannot walk into an authorized dealer and actually buy anything. And so it got me thinking a bit like, this would be kind of the equivalent of, if in the ski world, you know, let's say people only cared about atomic skis, vocal, and stokely. And some people thought that, every other ski out there was kind of trash and unworthy. And everyone was kind of trying to walk into a whatever, a vocal authorized dealer all around the world, just hoping that we could get our hands on any vocal ski, not even a specific model. And I I just thought that was such a weird thing. And you know, in thinking about what we do and the way that we cover skis, we're we're skiing on, talking about doing write-ups from skis built all over the world. And I think in the watch world, there's just this emphasis, even in watch media, they keep coming back just to talk about Rolex, Patek, and AP... And then they'll kind of move into some of the other brands. But I I don't think we have anything like that, anything comparable to that in the ski world
0: or snowboard world. Interesting. We'll save the the conversation about fake Rolexes and dupes (laughs) for another time. Okay, good. I don't really know that much about that. All right. So you're using a lot of uh, referencing to the ski world. Yeah,
1: Tell us more. Well, I think this is more of like a contrast than compare, but going back a little bit to like people who are really into watches or urology as you, you know, like to call it, Mm -hmm. these people, some of them, maybe many of them aren't like, Oh my God, I finally got this watch. I can't wait to wear it every single day and, you know, actually use it in my real life. They are, they are collectors. They're going to put that thing behind glass or in a box and hope Nothing ever scratches it, touches it, anything like that. One of the things that made me gain an appreciation about skiers and ski lovers is there's not that collecting culture, right? No one is like, oh my God, I got to go buy the hot new snowboard from Jones or this new ski from Moment to then hang it on my wall. Right. This is like I'm giving this a plus one to sort of ski culture over, um, over watch culture. We actually use these things, and I like that about kind of I'll say our side of things um, versus some of the the watch culture out there. The other thing that I think is kind of wild is you know we've talked a bit about the status symbols of the watch worlds. And there's no question that's a thing, right? Having the right brand, and the deeper down the rabbit hole you go, it's not just about the right brand, it's about the right model, right? And then you want to, so you want the people who know to see what you're wearing and like, oh my God, that person really understands and gets it. Same stuff happens in the wine world. And I think the same thing happens in the ski world, but in the ski world, it's not as simple as, oh, go buy some. pair of skis, which actually isn't really a thing other than a few silly luxury lifestyle brands that we make fun of from time to time on blister. But that's not really a thing people are doing. I think that there's no question in kind of mountain sports and mountain culture, we absolutely have our status symbols. But that might actually be like, I would never be on a chairlift with somebody and be like, oh my god, he's got some Louis Vuitton skis. I'd actually make fun of that person most likely. But if it was like, oh, that person has an old bibby, an old moment bibby before moments started changing around with some constructions or whatever, that would be the status symbol. And probably if we went on eBay or something right now, we could probably find that status symbol ski for like $100 because people don't know what it is and they just are trying to get it out of their garage. So I find that to be kind of the whole status symbol thing. It's not that we don't have them in mountain culture. We absolutely do, but it's different. And I do actually like that most of the time it is a bit untethered from just he who has the most expensive thing sort of wins status points or something. Do you know anything about, like, value of an antique watch
0: if it needs to work? Because, I mean, obviously, these things are going to wear out. Mm-hmm. There's probably a limited number of watch repair people to fix these things. And with that, there's probably limited number of parts to fix these things by the limited number of people that can fix them. So, we're going to have these watches that might start wearing out over time. But are they going to hold,
1: hold value in the antique world? Hmm. I definitely don't know much about that secondary market or the antique world. I do think I can confidently say that certain models get hot, right? And that happens in the art world. That happens in the wine world too, right? Um, collectors start to drive the market. And there's no question in the watch world, certain models get kind of hot and popular for completely irrational Like reasons that have nothing to do with objective value. Uh, But I think we're pretty familiar with that in virtually any collecting culture, you know? Um, Like the last piece done by so and so, or
0: the first piece done by them, or this was the watch they made right before this event happened to them.
1: Well, there's no question that that's true. Anytime I think, whether it's cars or watches, the last model in a line is going to be. Highly prized, valued, etc. But sometimes um, I actually was just uh, reading something about um, this Patek Philippe. One of the hottest, hottest watches out there uh, is the, I think it's the Nautilus 5711. And I was reading a thing about when that watch first came out, It people didn't care about it. It was not right off the bat, viewed as this hot, hot item. But it is now one of the hottest watches in terms of collectors and the rest, and in terms of retail values, it's arguably the hottest, uh, most desired watch out there. Uh, for people who really know watches. And then you'd have the folks above that that would kind of, you know, uh, turn their nose up. Oh, yes, everyone overvalues the Nautilus 5711. That's for, you know, charlatans and vacuous people or something. But fact is, people who know watches, that's the model. That's what they want. And Patek just discontinued it, actually. So now we're kind of seeing this big uproar Around this model, because as we just said, when a company says that's the end, we're not making anymore. Yep. Yeah. Limited supply. Yep. I'll save this story for now, but we'll we'll get back to kind of just because it's old doesn't mean that it's going to command a high price tag.
0: All right. So you mentioned earlier that you have a watch. Do you have more than a watch? I do.
1: I do. Um, I think I currently actually have seven watches. No way. <laughs> yeah. But I mean we're talking this includes a Casio G Shock that I found in a storage unit that I still have because I three years after being in this house I'm I still have not finished moving in. I think I had that Casio G Shock. I don't know. I if I paid more than 50 bucks for that thing back in the day, I'd be surprised. But that thing is old and beat and worth literally zero dollars. Um, sentimental. No, honestly, I, sh- I need it's to just, just like, you have it. I just need to throw that away. I literally just found it in a, in my storage unit like two months ago and then threw it somewhere in my house. And actually right now, I don't know where it is, but, um, but I, you know, as I've been thinking through this and starting to, you know, pay more attention, understand, the differences between some of these companies and their approaches to watchmaking and the rest, it's like, yeah, I still have this old beat-up Casio G-Shock that I used because it was functional back in the day. And, um, you know, so I I still have that somewhere. Um, a, A watch that I'm rather embarrassed about, but, you know, we're keeping it real and keeping it honest here, I have this Nixon 5130 chrono. J-Bob, you might have actually remembered me wearing this watch from, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. This monster Nixon 5130 chrono. And this dates back to, I think, around 2009, 2010, when big watches were like a thing, having a moment. And um, apparently I cared about watches for a minute at that point in my life but this thing weighs about i don't know i think <laughs> it feels like it weighs about five pounds that's massive <laughs> and if for people who know watches at all the 51 refers to it is 51 millimeters in diameter and i i could definitely kill a man with this watch also when i was like moving some years ago i kind of found this thing and I, apparently I get kind of sentimental or something, but I, I have trouble giving away or throwing away watches. And I actually still really like this thing. It's a tank and I don't think I will ever wear it again. But, um, now that I'm kind of on this little bit of a watch journey, I mean, it's, it is part of my history, you know, so, uh, feels a little weird to act like, uh, to, to pretend it was never part of my, uh, my little watch history. So... Um, Other than that, I have a Victorinox Inox Professional Diver that um, was actually gifted to me. It's a a nice watch. It is a quartz watch, um, has a battery. A few years ago when Apple came out with an Apple Watch, I picked up one of those. Actually, I, I guess I did that. I went in preparation for this conversation. That I actually picked up in uh, summer 2020. And I mostly to see what the fuss was about because that was, honestly, I think Apple is now actually the largest watch manufacturer in the world. I think I have wow. that right. And they don't get categorized that way since I guess they make a bunch of other products. But my understanding is Apple might be the largest watch manufacturer in the world today. So I don't know. I I still use this thing. Um, You know, the the fact that the battery's dead in about a day and a half doesn't make it a very functional tool, certainly not for backcountry use or anything like that. Um, But then uh, three watches I want to talk about, and we'll kind of start wrapping this whole thing up. Um. As I started on my deep dive and little rabbit hole into this watch world and was, like I said, really shocked how much prominence was given to certain old watch brands like Rolex, etc., And it just seemed like this is where so much of the market pull was coming from just a few makers. I stumbled across a company called Formex who are making watches in Switzerland and they're quite a lot of watch kind of bang for the buck. So this is a mechanical watch. It is a COSC certified watch. And I was like, I don't know anything about this world. So I'm just going to kind of jump into the pond, you know? And so I picked up this Formex, uh, it's their essence forty three, and um, oh,
0: wow. it was just
1: part of my like. Let me let me dive in and see what this world is about. And you know, this is a company that no one cares about from a legacy point of view because they weren't founded in nineteen oh five or eighteen fifty two or something. But it seemed to me like they were making quite a good product for not an exorbitant price tag. And so this was my the first mechanical watch I ever purchased. And um this was very recent history. When did I pick this up? I I wrote this down. Yeah. How much was it? Um I think it was $1300. Mhm. And I picked it up in August of 2022.
0: And how often do you have to wind it or is it automatic? self-winding?
1: Well, if you're wearing it every day, you would never have to wind it again. I mean, it will eventually lose its maybe one to two seconds a day. By the way, I maybe said that earlier at the beginning of this episode that the COSC certification was it can't lose more than two seconds in 15 days. I'm starting to think that's not right. That seems um, too accurate. I think that COSC certified watches, it might be more like, they can lose a second or two a day that that might be a little more accurate so well we're this is amateur hour it's amateur you're you're forgiven so this Formex essence 43 has a i believe it's a 38 hour power reserve so if you just let it sit there for 38 hours untouched it will sort of stop working um Mm -hmm. and you'd need to rewind um or wind it back up in that case. Um, So yeah, this is, um, you know, but it also is a watch that some of the things, again, as I was just diving in, a lot of the things that you'll kind of hear about when it's like, well, what makes a watch better or worse than some other thing? It has a sapphire crystal front and back. You can see the mechanical movement on the back of the watch. Uh, It is COSC certified, and it is powered by Salita's SW200-1 Swiss Made Automatic Movement, which is, this is a whole conversation we will have on a different crafted podcast. It is not an in-house movement. Again, conversation for another day, but it's a good movement. And then the last thing about it is Formex was really touting their patented case suspension system. And, you know, if anybody reads my ski reviews or ski boot reviews they know how much i like suspension and so i think Mm -hmm. i literally got intrigued by that word and wondered if i would be able to notice some watch that was claiming to have great suspension
0: interesting
1: spoiler alert not really sure that i noticed any difference uh, in terms of the suspension of a watch, but maybe I was the sucker. I don't know. But um, I thought, I, I don't know where to dive in here. So I'm just going to dive in uh, on what seems to be a pretty well-made watch, but it is not one of these hot legacy, you know, big brands that uh, that you're going to be hearing about in some hip hop song.
0: Gotcha. But a good mechanical watch, Swiss made, mm-hmm. which most of these are for reasons I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe we need to research that.
1: I you know, we're we're going long here and so I think maybe that's an episode for another crafted watch conversation, but it's another thing that I find quite strange about the entire watch world is Switzerland is just granted this to mix metaphors here, kind of this Mecca status. And I, I can kind of understand that from a historical point of view, but still to this day, Swiss made carries weight in a way that is um, a little bit surprising to me. Certainly, you know, among car aficionados, there's still like talk of German engineering. And so this isn't um, merely a thing that I think is unique to the watch world but um it's something that i am kind of intrigued by and also rather skeptical of um just placing so much emphasis and weight on the whole made in switzerland no no offense to you know the swiss people but um you're right that's very much still a thing in the watch world so this is this is maybe the controversial thing but um the more I learned about this whole unavailability of certain watch watch brands out there, I kind of was like that was a weird rabbit hole and, and that I kind of explored. And long and short, I did actually end up buying a Rolex. And I did this, it is a new Rolex that I have the papers for and the rest. It's actually the least expensive Rolex they make, but it happens to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite Rolexes out there. Um, so it is their, it's called their Oyster Perpetual. So this is something I, I did purchase online. And and this, is, this was kind of part of the process because you will see on forums and the rest, people just hate, hating on Rolex which is also ironic because it's apparently still the most popular most traded commands kind of highest um, gray market values type of thing but but people are sort of blaming Rolex for not producing enough watches which was kind of weird to Mm -hmm. me I mean it's like if Mm -hmm. I'm a company I can produce as many of a thing as I feel like And so I kind of started diving in on that and mostly was coming from it from the point of view of sort of hearing Rolex is kind of this overhyped brand. There's many, many other good watchmakers out there, which there definitely are. But the more that I actually learned about the history of Rolex and how they operate today, the more I actually came to like the brand. And I think it's extremely interesting and impressive what they're up to, how they have kept certain standards in terms of their standards of production, not really giving a damn about what anybody else is doing out there. So this is not to say that Rolex is among the most sophisticated watchmakers when it comes to movements. Um, A brand like maybe A.A. Longa would Take that title or Vacheron maybe but um I kind of wanted to also do this from an investigative point of view and see what it was like going through this weird experience and I do actually think that this Oyster Perpetual is just a very clean very simple beautiful kind of timeless watch and so I was like let me go see what this is this is about so um yeah, so I picked this up, and that was kind of part of my like. If I'm going to actually start interviewing people and trying to understand this whole watch world, I feel like I should have a bit more skin in the game. So this is this is my skin in the game. Interesting. So do you, do you call it a Rolex or do you call it a, a Roly? I've never said Roly in my life. When do you when do you wear it? Um, I mean, this is more of a dress watch. So, um, yeah, basically. Given that I, you know, barely shower on a given week, uh, it it doesn't get a whole lot of use. But you know, when my girl comes to town, we're going out for a nice evening. Uh, it's more appropriate for for me, at least. I mean, other people, this is probably their slum watch or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's a it's a dress watch. Mm. You gonna take it to Austria. No, no. Okay, not going to do that. And by the way. A really important part of this story of what led me to getting this Rolex is I had learned a bunch about the brand, again, largely motivated by people kind of talking crap about the brand, to be honest. And um, so I was trying to figure out why this brand was so popular, and yet people who are very interested in horology seem to sometimes talk down on the brand So the more I learned, the more impressed I was, and then it was, I think, August of this past year, and I really started thinking about picking up a watch to celebrate the creation of Blister Labs, because again, this was kind of a new concept I just sort of thought of, is picking up a watch uh, to commemorate certain milestones or achievements and i still have to say pulling off blister labs and making this program happen i think is one of the most remarkable things i've ever pulled off i mean starting blister was one thing and we're very proud of what this has grown into, but labs is a whole other beast. And this partnership with CU Boulder and Western Colorado University and us and what we are doing and the kind of brain power that has come into this, this was not the easiest thing to pull off. And I still celebrate the fact that with the help of many, many good people, we brought this thing into existence. And so I was like, you know what? we're going to commemorate this moment. And that kind of got me thinking about what watch I might pick up to, to commemorate, Labs. And that led me eventually to landing on the Oyster Perpetual. So that's kind of the why behind that. Now, I got one more watch I want to tell you about, and then we can wrap. No question, this is my favorite. This is actually the first watch I ever owned. Wow. And it's a pocket watch that was owned by my great grandfather. Um, It is currently not working. So I need to go get this serviced somewhere. But this is a Waltham pocket watch and Waltham. uh, I think I have this right started out as the American watch Company. I think that was the first watch manufacturer in the United States. They then later changed their name to Waltham and um, this pocket watch I think dates back to around the nineteen eighteen something like that, but was owned by my great grandfather who then gave it to my grandfather who then gave it to my dad who then gave it to me wow and this is actually an example um while while this sounds fancy and i freaking love the look of pocket watches i think i don't know that i would get a hundred dollars for this you know if i went to try to sell it and uh and that said you know there's no question if you said okay somebody's going to come steal all of your watches you get to keep one no question this is the one Mm -hmm. i'm keeping right um which kind of just ties back to that point of um you know these objects can stand the test of time and i am certain i just haven't had time to do it but i will be able to take this to a watchmaker and probably within an hour or two they'll have this pocket watch back and operational
0: interesting yeah maybe just needs like cleaning or oiling or
1: something like that and it's pretty common i mean parts wear out you know and so that's a whole art and science in its own right but dude if you ever need to just like really chill out there are some amazing videos on youtube of watch repairers repairing old watches it's amazing I, i i know it might not sound that way but um just just try dig around and they're beautifully shot, and it is so intricate, the work. Um, again, um, talk about crafts, craftsmanship at a very high level.
0: Yeah, I mean, no, I'll, I'll definitely be spending some time on YouTube looking at some of this. And that's kind of where some of my research went, was looking at some of these folks still in this modern age that are getting into this now. Yeah. You know, they have schools for watchmaking. You yep. go become a hor- horologist. Orologist, without you know with a silent (laughs) h
1: and
0: uh spending hours fabricating one of the hundred to a thousand pieces in these watches pretty intriguing that's some serious focus and dedication to this craft absolutely it's pretty exciting so um, you've definitely stolen more of my time (laughs) by uh having this conversation about watches I'm going to have to let you go here soon because you have to pack and go to Austria I get do. yourself a Scotch spoon. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about brands you're intrigued by and things for the next conversation. What else uh, we have to explore yeah. in the world of watches?
1: Well, I think a huge one that we've, we've already said we weren't really going to go down that road. I mean, the whole world of watch movements. And, you know, this whole thing in the watch world about, ah, This brand makes all their own movements in-house. They aren't using any third-party movements. That's a whole kind of interesting, sometimes I think overdone thing in the watch world. But um, that said, there are some watch manufacturers doing such sophisticated movements that um, it's, it's incredible work and so intricate. And... I think so far, I I have tended to actually like simpler watches, um, which is a bit, you know, shown by the fact that I have an Oyster Perpetual, like the simplest Rolex that's made, I would say. But um, there's a couple companies in particular. Um, a, a Blister member, actually, and now a friend, Lucas, actually put me on to a company called... I'm just going to Americanize it. Armin Strom. I think we would go with Armin Strom. But it's a Swiss manufacturer that revitalized this brand around 2009. And they are doing some extraordinarily interesting and cool looking movements. And so I kind of have a secret hope. I need to go to Switzerland to visit Lucas sometime. Plus, I've never been to Switzerland. But I'm going to actually make a bit of a prediction. And uh, we'll, we're going to hope to make that a crafted episode. Um, another brand, ah Langa, or Langa, um, known for their incredible movements. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be totally captivated by total complexity, because I think I kind of shy towards simplicity. But to better understand the art and the science behind these things is a, is a deep dive I'm looking forward to finally, Vacheron, another, you know, very high-end brand. I'm less interested in what they're doing today, but I would love to learn more about the history of that company because I think they've been doing it since like the 18th century. So those are a couple of the companies on my radar.
0: Gotcha. What else haven't you explored yet that you're excited to research?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, we we talked about movements and, and, and part of this stuff is like, look, this is very much just kind of a hobby and I'm pretty busy with a lot of other things. So you get to just take your time. And, you know, I hope to make it to Switzerland. And if I'm there, it will be a wonderful and organic opportunity to either visit Armin Strom or some of the other watchmakers there. And I think that's another thing that I very much like about this watch world is, you know, maybe it's a friend that introduces you to a company. Maybe it's a parent that hands down a watch to you. Maybe there's a watchmaker in the state you live in or in a town near you. I think there's all these different ways to kind of organically be led into this world. And I'm, I'm kind of at a point where like, I'm, I'm now having done my very initial newbie explorations into watches i'm now kind of like let's let's just see where this um where this kind of naturally leads
0: yeah interesting one last thought do you have a sense of this watch world growing in interest or do you think we're in a a stage of decline where we're going to start seeing less watch repair people Hmm. or are we going to start seeing more watch repair people do you have any sense of state of affairs in the watch world
1: i think things have been so hot again i mean as one i think very good barometer when you have the biggest hip-hop artists in the world constantly name dropping watchmakers you might be hitting a level of peak popularity. And there's no question that uh, in 2022, prices for watches on the secondary market were hitting, I think, some all-time highs. So now we're in a different economy. Some of those prices are coming down a bit. But um, I don't think that this... And, and let's go specifically on mechanical watches now. I don't think that this is a dying art. I don't see that right now. Um, now, how many watchmakers are there today versus 100 years ago? I'm going to assume there's less. But this will continue to be on the repair side. Um, you will be able to find watch repair folk in urban centers, for the very, for, you know, not just the foreseeable future, but pretty well into the distance. Um, Brands like Rolex, Tudor, Omega, you know, Seiko, Timex, I don't see these brands going away anytime soon. And I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if there's a movement or anything like that, but I think that there is enough about the genre in particular That I don't see this as a dying art, even if none of us need the functionality of an object that can tell us the time. Our phones do that now. Uh, And even with that, I don't see that as any kind of existential threat um, for all Mm -hmm. the other reasons that we've been talking about for over an hour now. Gotcha. Well said. Well, Jonathan, I think
0: we're going to wrap this up now. (laughs) This has been a pleasure having you on the podcast (laughs) called Crafted. And uh, I think that was pretty good amateur talk. Mm, Thank you. I'm excited for a follow-up because Mm. as conversations go with you generally, you end up with a lot more questions Mm. uh,
1: that will need to be answered at a later time. Absolutely. Well, J-Bob, you've been a heck of a host not just an incredible editor and producer, but uh, a good lead as well. So uh, thank you for allowing me to show exactly what an amateur I am about all this stuff. And and again, I never came into this t- a- to try to front as if I was the guy who knew anything about this, but I hope what I've been able to do is just uh, maybe open up for a few people a little bit about what what kind of drew me in about this strange world of watches and i i do think there is much about it that really is beautiful and remarkable and uh if if a few people left uh being more convinced of that well then i will feel like we you know we did an okay job here
0: at a minimum people should go research and see what these things look like and see some videos of them actually operating yeah um, from a mechanical standpoint, it's pretty impressive.
1: If you're sitting around reading 10,000 word blister reviews about skis or bike suspension, then I feel like you are the sort that would get drawn in to the the mechanics behind this stuff and the art and the science. And so I hope, um, I'm sure some people will be like, I cannot believe they just talked about watches for nearly an hour and a half but for others like i think if you're curious and interested in these other things that we love this does not feel like a very far step to get to to really appreciate what's happening in this uh much much older art form than you know modern skis and modern suspension et cetera. so mm-hmm. by the way last thing i want to say we will be having actual watch experts whether on the repair side of things or whether the manufacturers themselves so we promise that is coming because again uh, as I've proven I'm not the expert just the amateur all
0: right so a lot to look forward to but for now we're gonna let you get off to Austria and be the sacrificial lamb so it can start (laughs) snowing in Crested Butte again (laughs) perfect Jonathan that was fun having you on the show you take care. Thanks, J-Bob. Talk to you soon. That does it for this edition of Amateur Hour on the Crafted Podcast. I'd like to say thanks to our cunningly wise guest, Jonathan Ellsworth, and to all the listeners of the Blister Podcast Network. I am J-Bob. I produce and edited this episode. And please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again in just a short matter of time.
1: Um how do we get into this one? Well, I'm I'm the host, so you you're, you're going to sit back. Okay. <laughs> Am I doing the <laughs> the intro to it or are you doing the intro? No,
0: no, I'm I'm doing all of it. This, oh, you are? This okay. Is my show now. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should put that in.